Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2014 or 2014. How do you say it? I don't know. I still haven't figured it out yet. But however you say it, I can't believe it's 2014. I mean, it just seems like it was the 90s yesterday. Can I get an amen? I mean, man, time is flying by, right? Can't believe it. Well, I hope you and your families all had a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You know, before the break, I encouraged, uh, I encouraged some of our students to revolt against the, you know, the political, or the, I should say revolt against the politically correct secular bandwagon of banning Christmas. It seems like nobody wants you to say Merry Christmas anymore, right? You only say Happy Holidays, right? That's a lot, you know, more politically correct these days. Uh, non-offensive, I, I guess, according to some. Well, did you know that the, the term holiday actually means holy day? So to everybody uh, who wants to take Christ out of Christmas because of its religious connotations and don't want to say Merry Christmas anymore, well, (laughs) happy holy days, the joke's on you. Um, Well, you know, we just got done celebrating uh, some holy days, didn't we? And uh, I want to encourage you, though, even though we just got done with the the holy day season, the the holiday season... to, to realize that every day is a holy day. I want, I want to encourage you to wake up every morning and commit to making every new day a holy day. You know, I'll never forget my grandma making me memorize scripture when I was a little boy. I can still hear her voice echoing in my head today. She'd, she'd always say, Tim, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, 24. You know, and that verse is so true, isn't it? I mean, God, our God is the God of every single day. He's in control. He is God. Well, we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. So let us devote this new year, 2014, to him. And let us devote every single day of the rest of our lives to bringing God glory. Happy holy days indeed. You know, that is why you were created. You were created with an objective purpose by your creator to know him, to love him, and to be loved by him, and to enjoy a a relationship, a true love relationship, a, a marriage, if you will, a marriage with your creator. That is why you were created. And to do anything other than knowing, loving, and enjoying a relationship with him is wasting your life, objectively speaking. So that's why you were created. So with that in mind, when we think about New Year's resolutions and and, and things like that, I mean, that ought to come into play, right? I mean, it's what I am committing to do this new year. Does it fall in line with the real reason why I was created? So, you know, not just New Year's resolutions, but, but what about eternal resolutions? We ought to make these too. Well, since we are starting the beginning of a new year, why not start at the beginning of the Bible? We're going to start a new series. We're going to go through the book of Genesis. So let's open to the very first page of your Bible, the first book, the first chapter, the first paragraph. Let's go all the way back to the very first verse of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and let's, uh, let's read these. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. And void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Hmm. Let's pray. 
Oh, God. I'm just thinking about just that first verse right there, that, that in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth. You created all things. And, and Lord, it just blows my mind when I think that you existed alone as the Trinity and that you don't depend on anything else for your existence. And yet everything else depends on you for its existence. Lord, you've brought everything into being. And what an amazing act of grace it was because you didn't have to. You created everything you created the universe you came into your creation to save us lord i I just want to dwell upon your greatness right now thank you god for for entering into into your creation to save us the very reason why we celebrate christmas lord i pray that today we catch a a bigger glimpse of you and that we are in awe of you and and that our love and worship of you grows today. Please be here, Holy Spirit, and impact our lives with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, going back to Genesis, I I find it interesting that according to the Bible here, that we see that God created the universe. Now, I love to talk about the universe. And I like to do this because I think when we, if you appreciate art, what you're really doing is appreciating the artist. Right? And when you study art, what you're really doing is you're studying the artist. And, and the universe is God's artwork, right? Everything. He created everything. Everything. So all that exists, when you study it and look at it and think about it, I mean, you're really studying God. You're studying his work. So let's, let's think about what the, the universe is. Well, simply put, the universe is everything in time and space, including time and space, and all of its contents, okay? In other words, everything nature, right? So, so the universe is all nature. It's everything in time and space. So that, that includes all gases and subatomic particles and energy and the quantum vacuum and, and colors. And, you know, I was, I was speaking at Faith Christian School uh, a little bit before Christmas time, and I was talking to the kids that were aged kindergarten through fourth grade, and, and I was telling them the Christmas story, and I was talking to them about how God just existed alone as a trinity, and that he doesn't depend on anything else for his existence, but that he created everything, and, and therefore everything depends on God for its existence, and, and then that Jesus that God came into the world to save it, and that this is the Christmas story, right? But when I was talking to them about how... Um, God created all things. I said, anything that you can think of, you know, God created it. And it's right before Christmas time, and this little kindergartner got really excited and jumped up, raised his hand, and he's like, yeah, and, and God created Santa Claus. And I was like, and this other kid got really excited too, and, he's, and, and God created the Easter Bunny. And, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, and I'm seeing the teachers in the back behind the students, they started to laugh, you know, and, and they're like, hey, have fun with this one, Tim. And I'm, I'm thinking, God, you got to help me out here. And, uh, and I said, well, yeah, kids, here, here's what I want you to get out of this. Anything that exists, God created it. Anything that exists, God created it. Everything depends on God for its existence. That's one reason, one, one of the many, why God ought to be worshipped. Now let's look at one of my favorite verses again. I, we just read it, but Genesis 1.1, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the first main point I want to make this morning. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, point one, God made the heavens and the earth. Let's think about this. With that concise and magnificent statement, the author of Genesis 1, probably Moses, uh, he distinguished his outlook from all of the other ancient creation stories of Israel's neighbors, like Egypt, right? So, so really what Genesis 1 is, it's kind of an apologetic, actually, because there's all these other views of reality and gods and, you know, with little g's. And, and, uh, and Moses comes along and he's saying, no, here's the truth. And, and, and let me explain it to you. And one of my professors, I talk about him all the time, uh, William Lane Craig, he, he came to this conclusion. He said, the expression, the heavens and the earth, articulates in Hebrew the entire physical reality. Hebrew had no word for the universe. So when they wanted to express the totality of physical reality, they would use the expression, the heavens and the earth. So verse 1 says simply, in the beginning, God created the universe. So again, have, have you thought about the universe? Have you thought about God's creation, his artwork? I think when we contemplate the magnitude of God's creation and the universe, it leads us to think and see the greatness of God. And I hope you catch that this morning. Again, what is the universe? It's all of time and space, all of its contents. And in other words, it's everything nature. I'm going to get back to this again soon. But back to Genesis 1. Notice what is different in Genesis 1 here when compared to other religious claims of the time. There's no pre-existent matter. No, Moses is saying that matter began to exist, right? God created matter. So there's no pre-existent matter that's presupposed. We find no warring gods with little g's, um, no primordial dragons um, as we do in other ancient creation myths. No, only God who exists alone as a trinity exists necessarily and eternally with no beginning. It's only God that exists. And then God simply creates everything, the heavens and the earth, everything you can think of. We, we see this throughout the Bible. Let's look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. I love these two verses. It says, For by him all things were created. How many things? All things, right? For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, right? Let that sink in. Talking about God here. God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, and yeah, really, I mean, if, if this is really saying that God is ultimate reality. He exists, doesn't depend on anything else for his existence. He has no beginning, all right? He just exists necessarily and eternally. And, and he exists before all things, and he brings all things into existence. He is ultimate reality. And, and really, I think that's what God is saying in Exodus 3, verse 4, when he says, I am who I am. What's he saying? He's saying that he, when he says I am, he means I am 
reality. I, nothing, I don't depend on anything else is what God is saying here. And everything depends on me. Jesus goes on in John 8, 58, and he says the same thing. He says, before Abraham was, I am. You know, a lot of times when I'm on the college campus, I hear objections to Christianity all the time. One of them is, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. That's just something that Christians have worked into uh, to these books of the Bible. Jesus never really claimed to be God. Well, that is simply not true. Jesus knew full well what he was saying when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, and the Jews knew it too. I mean, the Pharisees knew full well what he was saying there too because he's referring back to what God is saying in, in Exodus 3, 4, or when, when God says, I am who I am, and then Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is claiming to be God. He is equating himself with the creator of the universe. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they hung him on a cross, is because he claimed to be God. But what is he saying here? Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am. Ultimate reality. Everything is contingent upon Jesus. Everything depends on Jesus for its existence. And moment by moment, all of us, everything, all physical reality depends on Jesus for its existence. So at face value, at least, the opening line of the Bible seems to teach the doctrine of creation ex nihilo. That is to say, creation out of nothing. That's what theologians have been teaching for thousands of years now, that the universe, that all nature began to exist. The funny thing is that scientists have finally caught up with Genesis, with what Genesis has been teaching for, for millennia. I mean, there's a, a guy named Robert Jastrow, famous physicist. I think he worked for NASA. Um, and he has a great quote. Let me share it with you. He says, For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason. The story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak, and as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) You know, since the 1930s, The scientific community has been uncovering more and more data suggesting that Genesis 1-1 is probably true. In fact, this past decade, the evidence has become stronger than ever. A little over 10 years ago, three physicists, I'm not going to test you on this, so you don't have to memorize these names, but but if if you like this kind of stuff, you can write these down. Three physicists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth, Alexander Vilenkin, some of the most uh, respected physicists and cosmologists in the world today, Um, They came up with a theorem that proves that the universe can't be extrapolated into past infinity. What does that mean? Well, if you were watching uh, the universe unfold on a video, their evidence, their scientific evidence shows that you can't push the rewind button and have it rewind forever. It has to rewind and have a stopping point or a starting point, depending on how you're looking at it. There was a beginning that the universe, that all nature had a starting point. And this is what all the scientific data is suggesting today. The universe did not exist. Nature did not exist. And then, boom, it did. Hmm. You know, this leads me to one of my favorite logical arguments 
for God's existence. I talk about it all the time. A lot of you probably get sick and tired of me talking about it, but I'm just going to teach it to you uh, really quickly this morning. Um, it's called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. The reason why I love this thing so much is because it leads to evangelism like crazy. I, uh, and arguments like this one, there's many different types of arguments, but I, when I'm on the college campus or, or uh, on, talking to people online on Facebook or whatever, just sharing things like this, it opens the door for evangelism to happen in such a, a, a powerful way. Um, I can r- really say that uh, because of things like this, I'm... I really, I think I share the gospel almost virtually every day, sometimes several times a day, um, in, in some form or fashion. Um, so let me share, maybe this is something that you would like to use, but let's just think about it. If you like to use it or not, it should help us see a, a bigger view of, of, the, of the universe and the, the creator of the universe here. Uh, simple argument. It's two simple statements we call premises in philosophy, uh, two premises that lead to a logical conclusion. Premise one, anything that begins to exist has a cause, right? Anything that begins to exist has a cause. Can you think of anything that did not exist and then began to exist that did not have a cause that brought it into existence? Anybody? Uh, For example, the car. Well, the car factory caused the car to come into existence. Um, Get more scientific, the decay of uranium causes lead to come into existence, you know, I, to make it simple, I, I tell people, all right, anything that has a birthday has parents, right? We won't get into that right now, but um, anything that begins to exist has a cause, something that brings it into existence. That's premise one. Two, the universe began to exist. Now, even if I didn't have any of the scientific data that I was just talking about, I, I could just sit sit down and think things through logically and prove that uh, the universe had to have had an ultimate absolute beginning. However, the world today, and especially when I'm on these college campuses, they're all about the science. So I just love to go straight to the scientific data and say, guess what? All the science shows that the universe probably had a beginning. So here's the, here's the first two um, points again. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist. What's that mean? Therefore, the universe has a cause. What's the big deal? Right? right? I, I haven't used the word God or anything. I haven't touched the Bible or anything, or anything like that. I'm just thinking things through logically, backed up by scientific data. But let's think about this. Because we talked about what the universe was. The universe is everything nature. It's everything in time and space. Well, if it's everything nature... What's that mean about the cause of nature? If nature had a beginning, then the cause of nature could not be nature. That'd be like saying nature existed before nature existed. And that's logically incoherent. So the cause of nature has to be something other than nature. You know what we call that? Supernatural. So right off the bat, just thinking things through logically, backed up by scientific data, we can prove that there was a supernatural cause of the universe. Well, it gets better. Again, I'm not touching the Bible yet. So when, you're, when I'm talking to my skeptical friends, you know, that don't want to believe anything the Bible says, I'm like, all right, let's just think things through logically, backed up by scientific data. Is that cool? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm all about. All right, let's do it. Well, if time and space, the universe, had a beginning, well, that, that means that time had a beginning. Well, then there was a cause of time. Somebody that, stu- that pushed the button on that stopwatch. Well, if the cause of time 
cannot be in time, then it's timeless. If it's timeless, that means the cause of the universe, whatever it was, was beginningless. That means, because a beginning requires time, right? Are your minds starting to get ready to explode? Okay. A beginning requires time. And so the cause of time can't have a beginning. That means the cause of time had to exist necessarily or eternally with no beginning. So right off the bat here, just thinking things through logically backed up by scientific data, we see that we have a supernatural cause of the universe who exists eternally. That means he didn't have a beginning. That means he depends on nothing. Well, whatever this cause of the universe is, doesn't depend on anything else for its existence. Hmm. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, wait, there's more. All right. Um, So we have a supernatural, timeless, beginningless, eternal cause of the universe. Well, time and space had a beginning. So if space had a beginning, the cause of space has to be spaceless because it created space. Well, then, logically thinking this through, it's got to be immaterial because matter takes up space. Well, you know what another word for immaterial is? Spirit. We have a spiritual cause of the universe, a supernatural, eternal, spiritual cause of the universe. Now, I'm not touching, I haven't opened this book yet, have I? Just thinking things through logically, backed up by the science too, okay? Um, so we've got a supernatural, eternal, spiritual Cause of the universe, guess what? It also have, has to be enormously powerful. I can't think of anything that would require more power than bringing a universe into existence out of nothing. Can you? I can't think of anything that requires more power. So just thinking things through logically, this is an enormously powerful cause of the universe. It's also got to have uh, volition or what we call free will because there's nothing else around to cause this cause to bring the, unifor- the universe into existence. There's no dominoes falling, hitting other things, right? So I had free will to choose to bring this universe into existence or not. And so, man, just start putting all these pieces together and we can start seeing all the properties and attributes that this cause of the universe, whatever it is, has to have. You know, philosophers can only think of two types of things that could possibly exist in absolute nothingness, okay? Because we're, we're saying the universe cre- was created out of nothing. Well, if there's a cause of the universe, what could exist in nothingness? Well, philosophers have thought of two things. One is abstract objects, if they exist, like numbers. Numbers are considered ab- abstract objects. Abstract objects could exist in nothingness, but the thing is, Numbers and abstract objects don't cause things to happen. You don't bump into the number seven, for example, right? I mean, you don't have to look both ways before you cross the street to make sure the number seven isn't coming. It's going to run you over, right? So numbers and abstract objects don't cause things. So they can't cause the universe to come into being. Well, you know what else could exist in nothingness? A mind, not to be confused with the brain, but a mind or a soul, could exist in nothing because they're immaterial if they exist. But minds or souls can cause things if they exist. So the only plausible explanation is that this cause of the universe is a mind, an unembodied mind. Now, all right, so we've got a supernatural, eternal, spiritual, powerful 
cause of the universe that has free will and that is a mind. Well, guess what? Only persons are the types of things with free will and minds, so we can conclude that the cause of the universe is a personal being. Now, you know what I love to tell my skeptical friends on college campuses or on Facebook or whatever? I'll say, guess what? Have, it, have I opened this yet? Everybody that's opposed to this book. Don't want to listen to anything it says. No, I haven't opened it. All I'm doing, I, I just gave you scientific data. We're thinking things through logically. And we've come to the conclusion that the cause of the universe is this person, a personal being. Well, if it's a person, then it's at least possible for you as a person to have a personal relationship with the cause and the creator of the universe. I have not opened this book, but guess what? That's exactly what it says. Maybe you should open it. It doesn't just say that you can have a personal relationship with the cause and the creator of the universe. It tells you how to have a relationship with the cause and the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. I love this thing. It is awesome. It's been telling us the truth for thousands of years. And we're just starting to catch up and, and see through all these other means of, of data and evidence, that it, that it really is true. It makes sense. And I really think it comes back to Genesis. You know, I think the New Testament, like, New Testament does teach this too. Let's go to John 1. I encourage you sometime to, to read, especially the first 14 verses. Awesome passage of Scripture. I'm not going to read all of it to you right now. But let me start at the beginning of John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And again, as I've said before, the Greek word for word is logos. And so it really says, in the beginning was the logos. But, all right, so in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's talking about Jesus here, if you didn't know that. And it says, all things. How many? All things, thank you. All, right. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And it goes on later and says, And the word, the logos, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that the very message of Christmas? Isn't that what we just got done celebrating? The creator of all things entering into his creation, full of grace and truth, letting us know the truth about reality, the way things really are. God. The Bible refers to Jesus as the Logos and, and states that not only is Jesus God, but gives us some insight into the Trinity here. Um, and from a theological perspective, this passage of Scripture carries so much weight, but philosophically and logically, it makes perfect sense. And as I said, well, man, the scientific data is showing that this is probably true as well. Everything began to exist. You know, I, I mentioned one of, one of those physicists, Alexander Vilenkin, earlier. He, he's, uh, I mean, really re- recognized as one of the greatest uh, experts in this field today. And he's an agnostic. He's not a Christian. So he's got no theological axe to grind. But let me tell you what he said. He said, it, it is said that an argument is what convinces a reasonable man. And a proof is what it takes to convince even an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. 
they have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. You see, everything that begins to exist has a cause. It, it, de- it, it depends on something else for its existence. And the evidence demonstrates that all nature began to exist. Therefore, all nature, including you, depend on something greater than nature for your existence. Something supernatural. And this is exactly what the first chapter of John is stating about Jesus. He is the supernatural cause of nature. He's the cause of the universe. Let, us, let, let that sink in as we contemplate the greatness of God. You know, here's a side note. I'm not going to charge you for this this morning. Um, another thing that struck me lately, I've been doing some hermeneutics and getting back to the original Greek and trying to find out what these original Greek words mean. I'm doing this as I've been studying. And, and, uh, and the Greek word logos that's used synonymously with Jesus in the text in John, um, logos means, in Greek, the principle of reason. And that's actually where we get our English word today, logic, you see. <laughs> so it's almost like saying, in the beginning was the ultimate standard of logic, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is Jesus, the ground of logic. What is logic? The laws of logic help us to know the truth about reality. And, and not when we think logically, then we know what truth is. And when we know logical conclusions, then we aren't apt to believe lies. Now, Satan is the father of lies, right? And I think this is saying that Jesus is the grounding of logic, truth. Even Jesus said he was truth, John 14, 6. So I think when we, if we care about truth, we should, Christians should be the most logical people on the face of the planet. Because when we think logically, we are approximating to the perfect standard of logic, the logos, Jesus the ultimate standard of reality. That's just a side note. Uh, back to Genesis. God created the universe out of nothing. So how great is our God? Let's, let's let the greatness of God sink in a little bit. He depends on nothing or no one for his existence and everything else depends on him. I hope you leave here today with that. If you don't remember anything else that I've said, remember that we ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. We ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. That's how great God is. That's why one reason why he ought to be worshipped. I think that's the first main point that we should get out of Genesis. Now, let's go to another point. Point two here in your bulletin notes. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We're going to fast forward through Genesis a little bit, go all the way to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And it says, let us make man in our image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hmm. So right off the bat here, in the very first book of the Bible, Not only do we get some insight into the Trinity here, right? Because God says, let us create man in our image. So we see there's one God who's at least a plurality of beings. Doesn't necessarily say three here. But we see that God is one God with, who's at least more than one person. Okay, blow your mind. Um, 
But right off the bat in Genesis, we see, uh, we, see we get some insight into this. But it goes on, and, and we have reason to conclude from Genesis alone that all men and women are created equal. Well, why is that? Because we're all created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. That's why we're equal. That's why racism is wrong. It's just flat out wrong. It doesn't matter what color your skin is because you're made in the image of God. We're equal. That's why sexism is wrong. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what gender you are because we're all created in the image of God. That's why bullying is wrong. It doesn't matter if you're bigger and stronger than somebody else because it doesn't depend on how much mass you take up because there's an immaterial aspect of your existence that's in the image of God that is equal. That, that, not equal with God, but makes us equal with each other, you see. We are all created in the image of God. So let me talk about this. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? You know, when I look in the mirror, should I conclude that the image I see in the mirror is something similar to what God looks like? Is that what it means to be in the image of God? Well, I used to think that for years. Um, but then I realized that that doesn't make any sense, really. Because remember, I just talked about that God created matter. Matter had a beginning. God created all things. Well, if matter began to exist, then God doesn't matter. But my body is made of matter, at least I think it is. <laughs> and so the creator of matter couldn't be made of matter and therefore couldn't have a body. Like this. Now, he took on a body when he came into his creation, but that's a different thing. So God is spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. Um, so if we're made in the image of God and God is spirit, well, what, the, what does that mean about us? Well, I think it means that we have an aspect of our existence that is immaterial or spiritual. That's what I call a soul. I think that's what the Bible calls it too, right? A soul. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you here this morning think you have a soul? Raise your hand for me if, if you are pretty sure you have a soul. All right, almost unanimous. Uh, almost everybody here is raising your hand saying you have a soul. Well, I have to tell you, I really think you're wrong. Um, I don't think anybody here has a soul. Wow, uncomfortable silence. Some of you are like, get him off stage, heretic. No, no, I'm telling you, you do not have a soul. In fact, I'm pretty sure the Bible teaches the same thing. You don't have a soul because so many times I think we make the mistake of thinking that we're bodies that happen to have this thing attached to it called a soul. No, the Bible teaches that you don't have a soul. It teaches that you are a soul created in the image of God. You happen to have a body right now. Someday you're going to get another one. So you, don't, you do not have a soul. You are a soul, you see. You see the difference? And when you start to think things through that way, then you start to see how precious you are. You are in the image of God. It doesn't matter what you look like. You are in the image of God, and that is why we are all equal. That's why we all have these certain unalienable rights, right? <laughs> it's because we're created in the image of God. You know, Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 6 through 8. You know, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
So if I can continue to exist apart from my body and be with the Lord, then that logically means that I am not my body. My body is dead over there. Well, if it was. <laughs> I can be apart from my body and present with the Lord. Therefore, logically speaking, I'm not my body. Paul teaches that. I think that's clear throughout the Bible. So if I'm present with Jesus apart from my body, I'm not my body. I'm a soul, and this is what Genesis is referring to as being in the image of God. Now, this topic has actually become the focus of my thesis project for my master's degree. I'm almost done. i got two classes left. And, uh, and I'm doing my thesis project trying to logically prove that the soul exists. And really, my point in this is trying to prove that uh, atheistic naturalism is false because I can logically prove that each of us do have a soul, an immaterial aspect of our existence. And that's what makes things like rationality even possible. But um, I've had a lot of good help from people in the church, too, helping me think through this these things. So I want to thank you if, um, for your help there. But, uh, you know, I also utilize a lot of cutting edge modern scientific data. I'm not going to bore you with that. I've talked about science enough this morning. But, uh, you know, if these are the types of things that interest you, um, you don't know where to start, you know, you can always look under my notes on Facebook. You can add me as a friend. Look under those. I'm always uh, posting my papers and articles and essays and things on there. What I want to do is I try to use my Facebook as a tool for the body of Christ so they can get on and get equipped uh, to understand some of these, th- these things, to have conversations with their friends and family who don't know Christ or maybe with their friends and family who have real deep questions that you just don't know how to answer. I try to deal with any question you can think of and, and have, it, have it up there. So um, you can do that if you want to. Also, I'm starting a brand new Sunday school class next week, a week from this morning at 9.15 a.m., brand new. Uh, if you've never been, if you've never had any exposure to uh, logic, theology, apologetics, philosophy, any of that, you don't need any um, prior training in this. You can come as you are, and we're going to start at ground level, take some baby steps, and go through this. It's for people of all ages. So if you would like to come and think through this, we're going to start a brand new curriculum next week in the middle school room at 9.15 a.m. I would love to have you there. Um, also in April, We're bringing four of the world's leading defenders of Christianity who have a passion to use this in evangelism um, for evangelistic purposes. They're going to be here in April um, doing an equipping conference um, for people people just like us and teaching us how to do evangelism and how to take people's real questions seriously and give them answers that point them to Jesus Christ. So we're trying as a church to equip you and give you opportunities to be equipped Um, to have logical, intellectual conversations about your Lord and Savior with anyone who asks you um, a reason for the hope that you have. Well, this leads to the last point I want to make. Point three. Our perfect God created a very good world. And if you look at Genesis 1, 31, we see our perfect God did create a very good world. What did he say? It is very good. Now, did he say it was perfect? No, he didn't say it was perfect. Because he knew that evil, pain, suffering, he knew, because he's omniscient, he knew that his world was about to be suffused with all this evil, pain, and suffering. So was it a perfect world? Well, no, only perfect things could never be um, tainted by evil. That's why God is perfect, and he, will never, he can't be uh, infected by evil, right? So... God can't create perfect things in that sense, but he can create very, very good things, and that's what he did when he created this world. Let's think about this. 
Let's think about the greatness of our God this morning. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And we see this through verses. I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time right now. I need to wrap this up. But 1 John 3, 19 through 20. Isaiah 46, 9. Psalm 147, verse 5. I mean, countless scriptures that, that teach that God knows everything. Past, present, future. He knows it all. So what does this mean? It means that God knew exactly with 100% certainty what would happen in this world before he chose to create it. He had to have because he's omniscient. It also means that God knew exactly what would happen in this world if he chose to create it. He didn't have to create this world. He didn't have to create any world at all. Nothing forced him to. But he knew exactly what would happen if he did. God knew that Satan would rebel and take a third of the angels with him if he created this world, this reality. God wasn't surprised by that. God wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve fell into sin. So many Christians have this view that, oh, wow, God was surprised. He didn't know what to do. He had to come up with the plan B. Oh, quick, Jesus, second person of the Trinity. Uh, go down there and save him. Now, Jesus wasn't plan B. It's plan A the whole time. God knew what would happen. He wasn't surprised. And he knew, though, that this world would be suffused with pain, evil, and suffering. So why did he call it very good? Why, how could God, knowing what's about to happen, say this is very good? Well, I'll tell you why. Because his perfect plan, <laughs> he knew that his perfect plan, he knew with 100% certainty that his perfect plan would be achieved in this world. This is the greatness of our God. Do you see how great God is? We've touched on three things this morning. That God created everything. That God depends on no one. And everything else depends on him. That's the first thing I want you to take out of this. And we ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. Second, God created you in his image. <laughs> created all of us in his image we're equal because of that and God created our perfect God created a very good world because he knew that his perfect plan that that you and I would would be able to know him for eternity in a, in a paradise with him would be achieved let the greatness of our God sink in and let's worship him because of that let's pray Oh God, I just, as I just start to, to think about how great you are, and as I was just working on this message uh, this last week, just thinking about how you, as the Trinity, just existed. <laughs> you didn't begin to exist, exist. you just always did. <laughs> I can't even express it in English. <laughs> but you were there. You didn't depend on anything else. And then this ultimate act of grace, you created all things, including us. You didn't have to, but you, you created us. And then you entered into your creation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. You entered into your creation so that we could be saved and so that we could know you for eternity. What a perfect plan. <laughs> 
Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for your amazing grace, for your amazing love. Amen.